with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Well, life is all about choices, is it not? I mean, we make them every day. Y'all made the wonderful choice to come to church today. I commend you for that. But you know, whenever you choose to do something, whether you think about it or not, you are also simultaneously choosing to not do something else. You're choosing something rather than doing something else. And, and the reason is simple. Some things are better than other things. That's just true, isn't it? Some things are better than other things. I mean, for example, everybody knows that dogs are better than cats. I'm sorry to have to break that to you. Everybody knows that coffee's better than tea. Now we're talking. Listen, y'all ought to do this when I actually preach the word. I mean, holy cow. Everybody knows that wealth is better than poverty, but we also know that health is better than wealth. We complain at times, we meaning I and my friends, complain about getting old, but getting old is better than the alternative. Right? And can I just say that I think we all know that a steak dinner is better than a vegan dinner. I mean, while we're amening. Now, I can tell that that bothers some of you, so I want you to look with me at Proverbs chapter 15, and I'm going to prove it. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 17 says this. Notice, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Now, the way that God puts these together is that he's taking something that's normally worse, which would be the dinner of herbs, and he's saying it's better because of the environment of love that it's in. In other words, love is better than hatred, and love is so much better than hatred that even if you had to eat a vegan dinner with love, it's better than a stalled ox. I mean, I'm ready to slaughter the ox and have steak for the whole winter. If you got hatred, well, you know, that's not really better. Lest you think I'm stretching the truth, let me draw your attention to Psalm 37 and verse 16. These kinds of comparisons the Lord uses all the time where it says if you have a little with righteousness, it's better than much wealth with many wicked. Well, obviously wealth is better than having a little, but it's the environment that makes the other one better. Actually, the Bible has a lot to say. I don't know if you ever noticed it or not about things being better than other things. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever done the study to compare how God compares things and see what God says is better than other things? Well, certainly the most frequently used comparison that's repeated over and over again in the Bible is that wisdom is better than riches. Or God's word, if you will, is better than riches. And there's just so many different places, primarily through the Proverbs, but in many places, wisdom is better than wealth. Well, there's a lot of places, and we have a lot of verses in your notes. They'll come up on the screen. You can look at it. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, it says to obey is better than sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice meaning just a, a religious ritual, right? In other words, obedience is better than religion. Or in other words, obedience with all of your heart for our younger adults is better than just giving lip service to something where your heart's not really in it. That's what he says. 
Uh, Psalm 84 and verse 10 says that one day in God's presence is better than a thousand days somewhere else. You believe that? In Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it says that it's better to trust in God than to trust in man. Or in the next verse, to trust in princes. You're better off trusting in God than trusting in your friends or government officials or co-workers or anybody else you might know. That's what the Bible says. In Proverbs 16 and verse 32, it says it's better for you to be slow to anger than for you to be mighty. You know, people are all about being, you know, strong, invincible, powerful, influential. But if you're slow to anger, you actually have some strength that those people frequently don't even know anything about. Proverbs 25 and verse 7 is worded a little differently, but basically what it's saying is is that heaven is better than hell. Right? It's better to be called up hither, up into the presence of the Lord, right, than to be put in the lower places in the presence of the prince. And the Bible talks about that prince who is the power of the air, right? Heaven is better than hell, of course. Open rebuke is better than secret love in Proverbs 27 and verse number 5. You know, if you secretly love somebody, they don't even benefit from that. But if you openly rebuke them in a loving spirit to try and make them better, well, that actually demonstrates love. It's better than secret love. There's different ways you can phrase this, but in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, the Lord puts it forth this way, that spiritual life is better than physical life. In other words, it's better for you that if some part of your body caused you to sin, to be rid of that part of your body and enter into eternal life, than for you to be whole physically and enter into eternal death. Spiritual life is more important. It's better than physical life. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22, it says that the New Testament is better than the Old. It's better than the Old. Now we understand they're all perfect and great, but without the New, well, the Old doesn't get you where you need to go, does it? 1 Corinthians 7 and verse number 9, a lot of the young people look to this one. It says that to marry is better than to burn. So rather than burning in lust in your heart and potentially being tempted into some sort of physical sin, it's better for you to be married. But you have to temper that also with Proverbs 21 and verse 9, which says that remaining alone is actually better than being married to the wrong person. Or if I could take those two principles together and put them into one statement, I would say it this way. It's better to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. And there's enough head nodding around here that I think you got it. Listen, y'all, if you really believe the Bible, and if you really believe specifically these things that God says are better than other things, they should affect your daily choices then, shouldn't they? For example, you will actually spend your effort and your time and your resources more towards gaining wisdom than you will towards gaining riches. Because wisdom is better than riches. You will spend more of your effort and resource and strength. You will work harder to pay attention to your spiritual life, your spiritual health, your spiritual diet, your spiritual exercise than you will your physical. Why? Because it's better. That's why. Now, we're continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. 
And we just finished chapter number 12, and it was all about spiritual gifts. And we went through that over the last three times in this chapter, and now we're into chapter number 13. We're going to begin with the first three verses, and chapter 13 introduces a new element to our study of spiritual gifts. We're still under the theme of spiritual gifts, but in this chapter, chapter number 13, is the famous dissertation that talks about biblical love, or as our Bible reads, charity. And today we're going to see one more thing that is better. We're going to see that charity is better than spiritual gifts. You say, how do you know that? Well, because we finished last week in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31. Notice with me. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And that transitions right into chapter number 13. So in other words, spiritual gifts are excellent but charity is more excellent. Charity is more excellent. So, in other words, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about how we work together as a body of believers. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is about how we treat each other. And God says that's more important. In fact, it's the most important ingredient for what we determine to be the theme of this entire study of 1 Corinthians, and that is the power of community. We've coined the phrase that we is better than me. And the only way that's ever going to become a reality in your life is if you demonstrate biblical charity. Because that becomes a charitable decision that you make to focus on others and to give them priority over yourself. This is the introduction to what we'll be seeing over the next three weeks in the book of 1 Corinthians and specifically chapter Number 13, I gave this message a title. I'm calling it the dominance of charity. In the next couple of weeks, we will then see the definition and the durability of charity going forward. Please follow along. I'm going to start in chapter 13, read the first three verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I promise you that's enough for today. We'll take a look at it in some more detail. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do, again, thank you for your love and charity towards us. And I pray that as we introduce and begin to understand this principle that you have for us in these three verses of Scripture, that you will help us to settle in our minds the things that truly are better. And we know they're better because you say they are. But as a result, that you would help us to then have the courage and the strength and the integrity to make decisions to go after those things, to prioritize those things, to rearrange our schedules and our resource management so that we go after the better things. Lord, we love you and we anticipate great things that you'll do in the next hour. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to start our study by looking at our first point. I'm calling it the clarification of charity. The clarification of of charity. Now, I just got to say, here we go again. Only your old King James Bible is the only English translation on the market that uses the word charity in this chapter. Everybody else uses the 
word love as they translate this word. The word that is translated is a Greek word. You may be familiar with this. If nobody knows any Greek, they know this word. It's the word agape, right? You won't be surprised to hear from me today why charity is actually a superior translation to just simple love, although certainly love is also used to translate agape even in your King James Bible. Now, just for the sake of clarity and going through all of this, the King James Bible translates this word agape, which really literally just means it's the highest form of love. There's different words used for love in the Greek language. Nevertheless, the, all you need to know for this study today is that agape, the word that is translated charity, it represents God's perfect love toward us. So why is the word charity superior to the word love? Well, if we're going to study this whole chapter, we need to clear off a space and understand this first. So certainly the King James Bible translators, well, they were scholars. They knew the difference. In fact, they translated the word agape as love a lot of times. In fact, about three-quarter of the times. It's interesting, though, because love, at least as we use it today, it's a pretty broadly used term, is it not? I mean, we love our wives, and we love cheeseburgers. <laughs> we love God, and we love sports. I mean, in English, love is everything from, well, I kind of like it, to fraternal care, to sexual passion. I mean, love kind of covers the gamut of all those things in our language today, whereas charity very clearly is selfless giving to others. That's what charity is. Selfless giving to others. That's actually the definition of agape. That's literally what it means. It's the kind of love that God has for us. Now, in your English Bible, you know, certainly there are certain times and contexts where we need to be reminded that love is charity, and it is in precisely those places that the Lord chose to have the word translated as charity. There's 117 times that the Greek word agape appears, 28 times of those 117, the King James translators chose to translate it as charity. That's about 24%. Of the 28 total times in your New Testament, 12 of them are in 1 Corinthians. And of the 12 that are in 1 Corinthians, 9 of them are in this chapter. More so than any two other complete New Testament books, there's in this chapter. Why is that? Why is charity the word that is chosen most predominantly in the book that's written to Corinth? Well, do you remember the problem in Corinth? They were a ridiculously selfish church, are they not? So then rather than just talking about love in general, the Lord said, well, let's talk about something that will really bring it home to you to better understand it. Let's talk about charity. Corinth is a selfish church, and Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13 to show believers their responsibility to selflessly love others as Jesus loves them. He wrote the same idea in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse number 3, where it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. It's the same exact context as we see in 1 Corinthians. 
Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So if you can behave that way toward one another, you'll find that you're behaving in the exact same way that Jesus behaved toward you. That's no surprise because it goes on to say, verse 6, who, speaking of Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ behaved to the maximum amount of charity, and he made charitable decision when he decided to lay his life down for you. And God, as a result of that charitable decision, ultimately highly exalts him to the maximum level of exaltation. That's what he did. This is the example of Jesus Christ. He charitably lays down his life for us. So we shouldn't be surprised when we read in 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's agape. That's charity. That's the best word to use. Why? Well, because we think of love as something you feel, but charity is something you do. Now, biblical love is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it is an action, and we've taught that, and we've said that, and you may have even heard that. But when you are bombarded by Hollywood and, and, and marketing and advertising and common uses of the word love, your mind can go to a feeling of emotion. When the truth of the matter is, when you think of charity, you think of giving. That's what you think of. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's important that we understand that. It's important that we clarify the word. And so now that we've done that, now that we understand the usage of charity, we can enter our text. And our text is going to give us what our second point of study is for today, the comparison, the comparison of charity. So Paul begins this great chapter by showing this, what I'm calling the dominance of charity through comparison. He clearly does it a couple of different ways, and we're going to see those different ways. The first one is with spiritual gifts. And this really is the text. This is what we've read in the first three chapters. In the first three verses, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, though I have the gift of prophecy and mysteries and all knowledge and all faith, so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, give my body to be burned and have not charity. He's referring to spiritual gifts. He's talking about the gift of tongues in verse number 1. In verse 2, he's talking about the gift of prophecy, the gift of discernment or wisdom in verse 2, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith. And then in verse 3, the gift of giving. And we studied those gifts in chapter number 12. These are all spiritual gifts. And charity is better than all of those things. Better than actual spiritual gifts. Why is that? Well, because gifts define what you do, but charity defines why you do them. And God is interested in why you do them, not just what you do. 
Remember, to obey is better than sacrifice. You say, but wait a minute. I've been speaking English my whole life now, and charity is giving. How can you say that charity is better than giving? Charity is giving. They're the same. If you give all your stuff to the poor, isn't that charity? Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. You know why? Because you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving. You can write the check. You can drop the things off at goodwill. You can empty out your basements and your attics, and you can give things away and not really care. But if you really care, you will give things away. You will give things away. And that's what he's trying to communicate to us. Biblical charity is just so much better than all of these gifts of service. And by the way, the gifts of service, don't forget, don't downgrade them. They are excellent. They are important. Charity is just more so. Why? Because God's interested in your motivation for doing what it is you do. I mean, God had the right motivation, didn't he? And that's exactly what we see. John 3, 16, everybody knows that, right? For God so loved agape, the world, that what did he do? He gave. He gave his only begotten son. He was motivated by his charity to be a giver. That's who he was. That's what he did. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says it this way, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Again, restating and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, or can I say, if God loved us so, we ought also to love one another. And I think it's fair to add, in the same way. In the same way. Let me ask you a question. Doesn't it make sense that if we act out of biblical charity that we will automatically use our God-given spiritual gifts of service? Doesn't that make sense? It is possible, though, that you try and exercise your gifts of service and really not be connected at a soul level, not really charitably caring for the target of whatever your gift is serving. Sadly, there are people like that. There are people who see ministry as just simply a profession. It's a job. It's, it's something they go to school for. They, de- they get a degree. And, well, then that's their profession. That's their chosen profession. You say, well, you're one of those guys. Yeah, I get it. But there are some people who do that, and their heart's not really in it. The Bible has a word for people like that. You know what that word is? It's hireling. Hireling. They're ministers for hire. They're in it for the goods. They're in it for the money. They're in it for the rewards. And it's not that hard for us in this 21st century Western civilization to see many examples of such thing. Of course, Jesus talked about such a thing in John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Where he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he's got a contrast. But he that's an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and what does he do? Leaveth the sheep and fleeth. 
and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not. There it is, no charity. Careth not for the sheep. Trouble comes, times are tough, things aren't working out. The guy who's just a hireling, by the way, please remove from your mind only those that necessarily receive a salary. That can be an application. But some people are into service just so long as they receive some fair recompense in their mind of reward. And when you quit receiving whatever level of reward you think you deserve for your area of service, and the times get a little bit tough in your ministry, and you run for the hills, Jesus has got your number. He's got your number. I think that's why Paul not only compares charity to spiritual gifts, but he also compares them to the next point in our outline, letter B. He compares them using this thing called hyperbole. Now, in the event that somebody is not aware of what hyperbole is, I give you a definition for it. Hyperbole is an overstatement. That's what it is, and it's used for emphasis. Paul uses this technique of hyperbole to drive home his point about the dominance, the superiority of charity. He does it through these statements that are in these three verses, the five though I statements. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, and each of those followed up with, but have not charity, then there's some negative result. You need to understand while you're reading these three verses that these are hypothetical statements. If we were saying it today, we might say it this way, even if I, instead of though I. We might say, even if I. So let me give you an example to help drive it home. God forbid this would ever happen, but let's just say for the example, if my wife tragically passed away, and I might make a statement. Though I have $2 million, I would give it all to spend one more day with her. Now the truth is, I don't have $2 million. But even if I did, it would be worth it to spend one more day with her. That is exactly what Paul is doing. He's not saying that he actually has or has done all of these five statements. He's saying even if it went to such an extreme that these things were true, if I could do those things without having charity, well, I don't amount to anything. It's useless. That's what he's saying. That's what he wants us to understand. Listen, let me prove it to you. Paul doesn't actually speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He doesn't actually do that. He doesn't, first of all, the tongues of men would be all-encompassing. Paul doesn't speak all human languages. He doesn't. And the truth of the matter is, we don't exactly know what the tongues of angels are anyway, do we? I mean, a lot of people want to guess what they think it is. I mean, I remember that 
there was a time when I was living in Europe and there was a bunch of Europeans. We were just having some fellowship and they were from different countries and we were hanging out one night and the discussion came around that we were discussing uh, what is the language of heaven? And while we're discussing the language of heaven, everybody in the room was given their pitch for the defense why their language would be the language of heaven. And somebody would say this and somebody would say that and I was American and I would say English and somebody in the room tried to be real spiritual and say, well, I think it's Hebrew, you know, or whatever it might be. But then there was a couple from Holland and the wife was, was you know, firm in her stance. She said, I think the language of heaven is Dutch. And her husband carefully calmed her down, and this is a true story, by the way, and he said, honey, honey, hang on a second. He said, I think the American's right. He said, I think the language of heaven is actually English because God knows the Americans can't learn a foreign language. (laughs) I don't know that Paul spoke English. He doesn't actually speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He doesn't actually understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. How do you know that? Because I kept reading in chapter number 13 and got to verse number 9 where it says, we know in part. He doesn't have all knowledge. He doesn't actually have faith to remove mountains because that's only recorded back in Matthew 17, 20 and Matthew 21, 21 with Jesus speaking to his disciples at a time before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and he was an unsaved Pharisee. We don't have any record of that. Uh, He doesn't actually give all his goods to feed the poor, by the way, because by the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 13, he asked for his goods back. Right? And he doesn't actually give his body to be burned. At the end of the story in Acts 28, he ends up in house arrest in Rome. For the record. Let me clarify, the one that stands out in the minds of so many well-intending Christian believers. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 1 about speaking with the tongues of angels is not a doctrinal statement. You need to understand hyperbole. You need to understand this literary technique that Paul is using for emphasis. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 is not a doctrinal statement for all to speak with angels' tongues any more than it is a doctrinal statement for all to give their bodies to be burned. I mean, I just don't understand how people can pick and choose the parts that they want to be literal and the parts they want to be figurative in the same context of the same passage. God is not asking you to die for him. He's asking you to live for him. That's what he's asking. And in fact, he's so good to us. And this is going to lead into our next point because even when we sincerely try to act as selflessly and charitably as we possibly can, he won't let us. He won't let us do it. What do you mean? Well, As soon as you go ahead and act in such a godly manner, you know what your loving Heavenly Father is going to do for you? He's going to turn around and reward you for it. You're going to act in such a way that you don't want anything back, and God's going to be like, great, so let me give you something. That's just how great He is. And that brings us to our third point, the contribution of charity. 
the contribution. So just face it, y'all. Deep down, listen, we are all hopelessly selfish creatures, are we not? I mean, we just are. There's no getting around it. Everybody in this room, if you are a Christian believer in Jesus Christ, you are one of two kinds of Christian. You are either a selfish Christian or a really, really selfish Christian. You can pick. We can hardly do anything that we don't at some level figure out the personal benefit we get from it. I mean, we're just wired that way. So, for example, this past Thursday was Valentine's Day. And hopefully, you fellas did something nice for your wives, girlfriends. And you know what? I'm sure you meant it. I'm sure you meant it sincerely. I, I'm sure that she's the love of your life. I'm, I'm sure that you really want her to know that. She deserves to be reminded of that more frequently. There's no question about it. But you also know that if you forgot, <laughs> there's a price to be paid, yo. <laughs> you don't want that. So at some level... You sincerely, charitably give. And at some level, you're kind of looking out to make sure you don't get hammered. <laughs> and just about the time you ladies are getting a little upset with me, listen, please don't get mad. We're really trying. We are. We are really trying the best we can. We're just broken. Could have got an amen there. <laughs> so similarly, since charity is selfless giving for the benefit of others, godly love, we want to do that with no need whatsoever for recognition, retribution. But we do hope secretly, don't we? that at least God's noticing? Don't we at least kind of wish and hope that somehow all my selfless acts for all of you are being tallied somewhere in heaven? <laughs> that someday the Lord's going to be, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Glad you were paying attention. We're all like that. We are. So, I think that's an important realization to understand the language given to us in these three verses. God motivates us to act selflessly via our need for three things. Letter A, recognition. Recognition. Verse number one. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Any miraculous ability to speak even truth without charity is equivalent 
to unintelligible noise. That's what it's equivalent to. It's just noise. We, let me do, let me do this. Right? So if I'm going to be preaching to you and you want to hear what I'm saying, that is really important stuff, but I don't care about you. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> what I've not wanted to do is have whatever I'm preaching to you every, every Sunday sound like that. I don't want it to just be noise. It shouldn't be noise. But God says, if you have this ability to speak, you have speaking spiritual gifts. But you don't care about the people. It's just like noise. That's all it's like. It's unrecognizable. Spiritual gifts of speaking need to be recognized. They need to be understood. Acts of proclamation without love are just noise in the air. Well, not only do we have a need for recognition, we have a need for reputation. And that's verse number two. So he says all of these gifts, right, prophecy and mysteries and knowledge and faith, it says if I don't have charity, I am nothing. I am nothing. That's Your reputation is who you are. That's who you are. All my ministry activity, all my study, all my preaching, even all my faith, if not exercised with charity, makes me to be nothing. Now that's a sobering thought. That's a sobering thought. It ruins my testimony. It ruins my reputation. And I don't know about you, but I, I want a good testimony. I want a good reputation, and you do too. Well, God knows that we have needs for those things, and he addresses those things. He says, if you don't want that problem, well, then be sure that you're behaving with charity. And lastly, letter C, retribution. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned. Ultimate sacrifice, right? And have not charity, notice it profiteth me nothing. I don't get any profit from it. That's interesting. So all of your selfless giving to the poor, or even in detriment to your own physical health and well-being, without doing it out of charity, brings no reward to you. Let me help you remember 1 Corinthians 13.3 by referring you to 1 Corinthians 3.13. Just flip the numbers. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work. Notice of what sort it is. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is the time when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to judge all of our works of service, fill in the blank spiritual gifts, works of service for him. And some things will be burned away if they are not of the right sort. And some things will remain if they are of the right sort. He doesn't say how many they are. He's looking for the sort, the kind, the quality. He's looking for the motivation is what he's looking for. And if you were motivated by charity to serve, well then those are going to remain. 
They're going to remain, and you will receive gold, silver, precious stones. But without charity, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It profiteth me nothing. That's what he's saying. So what have we learned? Well, biblical charity is selfless giving to others. It's what God gives to us. We learn that charity is dominant over other spiritual gifts and actually secures rewards in eternity. I want you to notice some other things that we can learn about charity. Charity builds others up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1 says that knowledge puffs up, right? It inflates you, but it doesn't last. Charity builds up, it edifies. Charity is the thing that really builds you up. Do you know that you can do a lot of things wrong in your life? But if you show charity towards others, that God will still bless and use you. I mean, that ought to be something you referred to a lot. <laughs> we all blow it. We all have need for a do-over now and again, don't we? You know what it says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Why? For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Charity covers the multitude of sins. And if you have found yourself wallowing some in sins, such that they're becoming even a multitude, if you're charitable, you know the Lord somehow figures out a way. I mean, it's not that that's okay. It's not saying that that's right. He's just saying, man, that, that brother, that sister, they're trying to be charitable. They're still confused over here, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll cover that and keep going. Good for you. Charity covers a multitude of sins. Charity is the ultimate final stage of your process of spiritual growth and maturity. We have a whole class to teach you this in MTT. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith seven things. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. There are seven levels of spiritual growth and development. No surprises which one is the highest. It's charity, which is why we read in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. We understand the biblical definition of perfect. It's not sinless perfection. It's completion. It's maturity. That's what it means. And charity is the bond of perfectness because charity is the highest level of your spiritual growth and maturity. And if you are achieving the seventh level of seven in your growth and maturity with the Lord and yet you still blow it and do dumb things over here, charity covers the multitude of sins because your charitable acts are in the same time edifying and building up the body of Christ, because you are exercising your spiritual gifts. You're doing it with the right motivation, and God is pleased. You don't have to be sinlessly perfect. You just have to be mature. Charity should be our motivation for all that we do. Romans 13 and verse 8 
says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. That's agape. To love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Well, we learned that the law, that's, that's the whole Old, Old Testament, right? You come in here and you come back to this point right here, the page that says New Testament. That mu- that's, that's the law. Love your brother. Love the Lord and love your brother. You fulfilled the law. So there's no surprise, right, when 1 Timothy 1.5, using the word charity. Now the end of the commandment, the law and the commandments, the end of the commandment is charity. Of course it's charity. It's charity out of a pure heart. So doing the right things, man, that's important. Being in the right places, man, that's important. Getting your life start to get disciplined and lined out, that's important. But what God's really looking for, greater than even those things, and those are really good things, is to do it with the right attitude. Is to do it because you really mean it. It's to do it because you love the Lord and love His people and want to do what's right and want to walk with Him and want to reflect His character. When you do that, man... Now you're going somewhere. Now God's using you. Now God's changing you. We have a team that's going to travel halfway across the globe. And they're going to go to one of, if not the poorest country in the planet. And they're going to serve people. Why? Out of charity. Out of charity. There's benefits for that. And I don't know where you're at. And I don't know what God spoke to your heart and it. And if you've been serving but your heart's not been in it, then I encourage you to get that right. But you know where it all starts? There may be people listening to me right now that have yet to take that first step. You've never actually been the benefactor of God's initial gift of charity. You've never actually received His love for you first. For God so loved you, friend, that He gave His only begotten Son. That if you would believe on him, you will not perish. You will have everlasting life. And if that's where you find yourself today, can I encourage you? Don't leave here without taking care of that. This is the single greatest gift you can ever receive. It's free. It's already paid for. And it's offered to you today. I want to pray for you. And if you find yourself in that case, I want to really pray for you. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to ask you a question.